you know, the political side is is crucial because we have to figure out how, you know, public money can match up with private money so that we can make the case that this is a great place for quality of life, entrepreneurs, and yeah, visitors. Today's show is brought to you by a great partner of ours named Connect Travel. Connect Travel puts on the premier trade shows and conventions in the destination marketing industry. Coming up in February is the Marketing Leadership Summit, and that's February 19th through the 21st in Kissimmee, Florida. We're really excited about that event. Uh, It has a unique format that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, So go to connecttravel.com if you want more information. We hope to see you there. Welcome again, everyone, to another episode of the Destination Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Stoker, and I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, Before we dive into today's show, uh, I want to remind everybody, and I just got done this morning posting some content on our LinkedIn group, uh, Destination Marketers. If you are listening and you haven't yet joined that group, you're missing part of the story because lots of times we'll talk about assets and or we'll talk about uh, different content and then we'll post it after the show in the Destination Marketers LinkedIn group so you can actually see some of the stuff that we're talking about. So if you haven't joined, go in, request to join. We'll add you and, and then you can be part of the community. The whole idea is learning and growing together. We're getting comments from uh, several people within the industry and, and kind of learning together. So if you haven't done that yet, I'm excited to have you you join our group. Uh, but we have an awesome, awesome show for you today. And I'm excited to have our guest. He is the chief instigator at DMO Pros, and he also hosts the DMOU podcast. That's Destination Marketing University. His name is Bill Geist. I'm sure if you're in the destination marketing industry, you've heard of him. Bill, welcome to the show. Adam, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I everywhere I go in the industry, I keep hearing your name, and <laughs> it, it's kind of like, man, I've, I've got to get this guy on. Well, thank you. It, it's very kind. Awesome. Well, well, I have a little icebreaker set of questions. Of course, you know the drill. You've got your own show, and, yeah. and uh, we'll make sure everybody by the end knows exactly where to find you and, and how to listen. But uh, first of all, to break the ice, tell me a little bit about your dream destination. If you go anywhere in the world, if there's anywhere you haven't been yet, where would it be? Well, there's a couple. Um, so right now, for I don't know why, I, I'm, I'm focused on Malta and Portugal. Th- those are the two places... Okay internationally I want to go but you know domestically I still have not been able to nail down my all 50 states and so interestingly Vermont and New Hampshire are the last two and they're right next to each other so I can't wait to get to one of them get near the border and just put my foot in the other one and boom got it (laughs) (laughs) just check those last two off the list yeah so maybe this fall for fall colors we'll uh we'll head up to um New Hampshire and Vermont but uh I don't know. I just, Portugal, I've been looking at Portugal for, uh, geez, a while because uh, one of my daughters was a foreign exchange student and she said that the people there were, she goes, of all of Europe, she said, they struggle the most with the English language, but they try the hardest. And that, that's (laughs) really, that, that's what I want. I, I, you know, I want to immerse myself in a culture of people who, you know, regardless of language, are that welcoming. And she said Portugal was her absolute favorite and she did virtually every country uh, in Europe. 
And Malta, well, I'm I'm not sure why. Bill, let me before you get to Malta, let me just uh, let me just follow up on that. So you and I may have to go to Portugal together because <laughs> I speak Portuguese. Oh, no so kidding. I could be your translator throughout the trip. Now I speak the Portuguese that Brazilians speak because I spent two years in Brazil. Uh-huh. And so we might have a little bit of a challenge with the with the dialect in, in yeah. Portugal, but but you know I think we could make it through and have a pretty awesome trip. What do you think? That'd be great. You know, <laughs> I, I went to uh, Greece. Um, earlier, well, it was actually last year. And I went with somebody who spoke the language and it was amazing to watch how having somebody with language skills opens up doors because you yeah. know, there were, there were restaurants we went to that we would have had a great time. But the minute that he began to speak Greek, it was like, Anything you want, just you know, just doors opened, and it was so. Yeah, let's let's definitely play in Portugal. I like it. I like it. We'll coordinate after the show. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk Malta. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about Malta. I'm just uh, it. It just appeals to me. It's a it's a very arts and culture focused island. Um, it's not on a lot of lists. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, you know one of those unknown destinations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hate you hate to go to a place like and this is not fair, but you know, Iceland became so over tourismed because it was that cool next place. Yeah. And so, you know, I I tend to look for places that that aren't experiencing that. It's, you know, what's next? Yeah, so. you want it you want it to still be a little bit undiscovered so you yeah. could it, it's like you knew them before they were famous, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I've I've never actually researched Malta. Now I've got to go kind of find out what it is and, and learn more about it. So so thanks for adding that one to my list. Mm, you bet. How about places you've been, Bill? If if you could look at one vacation that you've taken, what was your favorite destination that you've been to? You know, it... <laughs> It, it goes a couple different ways. I mean, I mean, you know, Sarasota and the Keys, you know, that oh, yeah. th- th- those areas are fabulous. But probably my favorite experience ever was probably uh, along the Maine coast, the state of Maine. Oh, interesting! And it, and, and it was exciting and 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 exhilarating because of the experience that that was um, that was offered to us. And and that that was there was a guy. He was a He's retired now and he's sold the business, so it's not there anymore. But he was in his, I don't know, 50s or 60s. This was 10, 15 years ago. And he had this little fishing shack. I mean, he was he was a he was a lobster fisher. I mean, that that's he was, his dad was, his grandfather was, that was their deal. And we sat down one night when I was there with him, and he says, I keep going into town. And people would see me and they'd see me, you know, I'm in my Fisher gear and they would ask me questions about what to do. And, you know, can I go out and lobster fish? Can I, can I bicycle and do blueberries? Can I do this? Can I kayak? And he says, there was nobody that was essentially curating the main coast experience. So he said, I built a 20 unit dorm. I have a boat. I have all the, all the, the, the tools. And he goes, and I, he goes, I create the main coast experience. And so one day you go out kayaking. One day you go blueberry picking. One day you go out looking for arts and culture. And, of course, the final day you go out and you are lobster fishing, right? So you're, oh, wow. you're pulling the traps up. You're, um, you're measuring the lobster because, you know, too small, too big. They have to go back into the ocean. 
And, you know, 30 minutes after you get back from, from your excursion, you're eating lobster. And it was just one of those where every part of the main coast experience he was providing, and he wasn't a tourism guy. He was a lobster fisherman, but he tapped into this amazing vibe that he knew that that's what people wanted. They wanted that true experience. And so I look oh, back yeah, over, yeah. You know, I look back over the years and, you know, I, I've been to some amazing places, but it was this guy who really wasn't from the tourism industry that figured it out and said, I can, I can expose you to what it's like to live here in Maine on the coast. And that was probably my favorite and, and, and my kids' favorite. They, they still talk about it. Well, Bill, that trip just sounds like a dream. It sounds like you guys had a great time as a family. And, and I love that it was somebody that wasn't, didn't even have that tourism background that was able to, to show you such a unique experience. So it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that's probably why it was so much fun is because he wasn't, I mean, it wasn't an expected experience. It was so different because he saw it from a different perspective. And it's like, wow. This is this is really cool. I I loved hanging out with him each evening. We would just, you know, chit-chat about everything because every evening, you know, he'd hang out with us in this big great room. I mean, he would serve dinner and then you know, you just hang around. There was no internet, there was no TV. There were board games and just conversation. And it was just oh. it, was, it was a wonderful experience. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. I'll have to get the, the, in, in fact, what is the name of the, of the guy? We might as well give him some PR if he created such a great experience. Well, he's retired now and he has sold the, uh, the experience. It, I mean, it was called the main coast experience and I think it's gone now. I, I, I don't believe it's, it's still in business. So, okay. but it was a, it was a while ago. Okay. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to piece it together on my own then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell me a little bit about you, Bill. Tell me about your background and kind of how you got into tourism. Well, kind of a backdoor thing. You know, I, I think like so many of us that are in destination marketing, um, it, you know, that that's not what you grow up wanting. You know, it's not. I'm not going to be a fireman. I'm not going to be an astronaut. I'm not going to be a rock star. Most <laughs> people don't grow up thinking they're going to be in destination marketing. So I think we all somehow back into it. Um, it for me, it was... You know, I was uh, in my hometown. Uh, the Convention and Visitors Bureau in that community had an opening. I applied. And, you know, lo and behold, I got it. I, I got the job. And so, you know, learning on the job, um, but but fell in love with it almost instantly. Uh, my mom always instilled, you know, you need to give back to your community. And I'm not sure I was in my previous profession, but I definitely realized that I was in destination marketing. So, you know, spent four or five uh, years in my hometown. When, when was that, that you started at your hometown? Uh, started in the uh, mid eighties. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I, in a little town called Kankakee, Illinois, South suburbs of Chicago. Um, we like to, to joke that the unofficial slogan is it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. <laughs> That's so, but, uh, but then I had the opportunity in 1990 to go to the Madison Convention and Visitors Bureau. And I mean, totally serendipitous. I mean, you know, we're just, this is, this is pre-internet. So we, I had no idea what was happening in Madison. And they were just about to go to referendum to build a Frank Lloyd Wright Design Convention Center. And so, boom, here I am in Madison, you know, leading the, the referendum charge for the first couple of years. And then, you know, uh, bringing it home when that thing started to come out of the ground. And, uh, and it has absolutely transformed 
Madison. Madison, you know, downtown Madison, people, you know, Madison is one of those communities that's on everybody's top 10 list. But people don't remember that in the 90s, early 90s, half of downtown was boarded up. I mean, it was it was almost a ghost town. It was really, really painful. But this convention center, and I'm not going to say that all convention centers will do this, right. but the convention center really was that shot in the arm. And all of a sudden, you know, we had three restaurants downtown. Well, today there's 53 restaurants downtown. So it just was that that catalyst that brought Madison's downtown, you know, back from the brink. And so, you know, that was really the the, the moment in time that I think and, you know, we we were hanging out. A number of us were at one of our industry conferences and we were all talking about the consultants that we were using. And the interesting thing was, is that while they were good at what they did, none of them had ever spent time in a convention and visitors bureau. And so I don't know what got into me, but at one point I, I started to think, well, maybe that's me. So uh, in 1995, I jumped um, and uh, and you know, put out the shingle and said, okay, um, you know, these other guys out there, they're doing the work, doing good work, but I've got the political side. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I know what it's like to actually sit in the chair. And so, you know, now 25 years later, um, you know, here we are. Um, and, uh, it's, it's been a great run. Uh, we've had an amazing time working with great destinations, great people, um, for a quarter century. And it's just funny to say that. I mean, it just, it seems like yesterday, but yeah. So that's that's kind of the uh, the storyline. Well, and and Bill, that's what I kind of love about you've got your podcast, right? DMOU, right? And and I have a marketing background. I've done a lot with destination marketing. I definitely have a deficiency on the political side, on uh, a little bit more of the the internal affairs that happen, as opposed to bringing in visitors to the destination. And so, listening to your podcast, I've really been able to get a more wide ranging education, right, on outside of even the marketing, what are all the other things that go into it? And and it helps me to kind of understand, okay, what do my client, what are my clients dealing with that I don't necessarily get exposed to? And I think you guys have a really well-rounded uh, base of education there. Well, and I wouldn't call it a deficiency because, I mean, that's why we get into this business, right? We're sales and marketers. That That's yeah. what we love. And we love our towns and we love our communities. The problem is, is that because we're working with public money. I mean, uh -huh. I think the last time that Destinations International did a, a review of funding of DMOs, I think it was something like 83% on average of our budget is public tax money. And because of that, that makes this very political. And, you right. know, I, I got to give a shout out to Destinations International because they are doing some great work right now trying to change the narrative of what it is we do so that people understand that this is, you know, this public investment of revenue is critical to the life and and quality of life of our of our communities. That and and you know and Joe and Jill public don't get it. They think that it's their tax dollars and and, yep. we're, and and we're pissing it away, you know, doing all this marketing and silly stuff. And it's like, no, absolutely not. This this should be a shared community value. And that's the problem right now is is we have become those of us that are in leadership positions at, at destination marketing organizations are increasingly we're politicians more than we are sales and marketers. And yep. and that's the sad part, because, you know, it's 
It, it is the sales and marketing. I, one of my absolute favorite um, examples right now is Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so if you've never been to Tulsa, I think one could be excused for thinking that there's tumbleweed, you know, rolling down the street. Uh-huh. And that's just not Tulsa. I mean, Tulsa is sophisticated. It's arts, it's culture, it's music. It's, I love Tulsa. It's an amazing community. So but, I'm going there for the first time in April. Ah, just just FYI, I've got family there. So I'm excited to go check it out. Make sure you go to the Cane Ballroom. It's a great music venue. But The but here's Cane the, Ballroom, okay. Yeah, but, but here's the deal, is that the major employers in Tulsa are having a hard time getting workforce. They're, you know, they can't get MBAs, they can't get uh, medical, they can't get engineers because nobody wants to go to Tulsa because they have this image that Tulsa's like, eh. yeah, and and they don't know. And so there are over fifty corporate entities in Tulsa that are writing checks every year to the Convention and Visitors Bureau, not for tourism, but for image, saying make us look cool. To the tune, these 50-some corporations are investing $2 million collectively a year into an image campaign. And that's, you know, that's what I think destination marketing is becoming. It isn't just about heads and beds. It isn't just about tourists. It isn't just about, you know, conventions. It's actually, it's, it's leading the brand for, you know, every possible person for every possible reason. And I think that's going to be the future of what we do. And so, you know, the, the political side is is crucial, you know, back to your original question, because yeah. we have to figure out how, you know, public money can match up with private money so that we can make the case that this is a great place for quality of life, entrepreneurs, and yeah, visitors. Yeah, good good stuff. In fact, I, I want to go back to one of the things that you said. You brought up Destinations International, and I actually I, I've listened to your your podcast and learned a lot about Destinations International. So much so that I, I'm I'm actually on track to to start my CDME program uh, this year, and I'm I'm cool. excited to do that. Excellent. So I was wondering if you could just I think we have listeners that aren't necessarily, uh, especially some of our smaller destinations that are listening aren't necessarily up to speed on what Destinations International is and does and the opportunities that come along with it. Would you mind speaking to that? Absolutely. Um, Destinations International is is our trade association, right? It, this is where you go for education. This is where you go for political advocacy. This is, this is an organization that represents all of us in the DMO world. And whether you're a member or not, I mean, their job is, you know, to make sure that we are all as good as we can be. So I would say, you know, yeah, yeah it, it's an investment. I mean, it's, it's, it's not an inexpensive um, dues to get in, but the value um, of being able to hang with other destination marketing organizations to go online, you know, to, uh, to get into their, uh, I mean, what did we used to call them? The, uh, oh, I can't even think of the name now, but I mean, you know, there, there are the, the opportunities to, you know, ask questions in a, in a forum, an online forum, say, hey, um, I'm thinking about, you know, going in this direction. Has anybody had any experience there? And then, boom, all of a sudden, you've got 15 other DMOs around the world who will say, yeah, we tried it and we did this, we did that. We, you know, you know, tr- you know, make sure that you don't make this mistake or make sure that you do this. And so 
just the ability to network. I mean, people ask me a lot of times, they say, well, you know, should I go to, you know, a U.S. Travel Association event or should I go to a Destinations International event? And I say, if you learn by networking, it's Destinations International hands down. You know, I mean, U.S. Travel has some fabulous speakers um, at, at ESTO and some of their events, but it's the networking that is, the, I think, the key at Destinations International is you get to meet people who are doing what you do. And and everybody in this industry, funny enough, we all share like crazy. Yeah. I, you know, it, <laughs> you know, I, I came from broadcast and, you know, in broadcast, you know, you, you are cutthroat as hell. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden you get into destination marketing. And, you know, when we were doing the, the original DMOU back when it was a teleseminar, we did 125 interviews over five or six years. And I only had one person who declined an interview. <laughs> and, and I called him and I, and I said, hey, I said, you have one of the best sales departments in the country. I said, I'd love to, to talk to you about that. And he says, yeah, not really. And I go, and I, I, I honestly, I laughed because I, I thought he was shining me. And I said, really? He says, yeah. He goes, I got no real need to share our success with my competitors. That oh, was, man. That, but that was one in 125 requests for an interview. Wow. And so that it, it, it's an amazing sharing opportunity and Destinations International really enables that. Well, you brought up the two types of shows you could go to, right? You can go hear a big inspirational speaker. You know, I, I went to the Texas Travel Summit last year and they had a they had a juggler on stage and he he was juggling while riding a unicycle and and he came up with a really great inspiring message. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, everybody left that meeting with great attitude and excitement and and then it was kind of like, okay, well, what do we do with that? Right. And Texas Travel Summit had some great additional speakers, uh, including me, uh, and the that kind of helped with the <laughs> with the tactical uh recommendations, right? But but the the thing that I think my philosophy is inspiration is great, but but to know what I can sit down at my computer tomorrow and execute on that's kind of what you're saying is the the learning by networking is saying, okay, now I know that I can reach out to this group and I can get feedback on the exact problem that I'm having because guess what? The problems that you have in destination marketing, it's very rare to find one that somebody hasn't been through before. Right. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Cool. So yeah. So 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 be that's really what I love about Destinations International is you make lifelong friends that you can reach out to at, at any time and they got your back and they'll get, they'll have solutions for you though. They'll, they'll have suggestions for how you deal with whatever that issue is. I mentioned earlier that today's show is brought to you by connect travel. Their marketing leadership summit is coming up in February. I had the opportunity to go last year and it was such an interesting format. It's actually a format that allows you as a destination to sit down with suppliers for a few minutes, a short period of time to see if you want to continue the conversation. It allowed me to really meet with several people and get to know their needs quickly and build a, a quick relationship so that we could see if we wanted to continue the conversation. If you're looking for new technologies, new products, new partners, it's a great way to have a quick introduction without taking too much of your time. I hope to see you there February 19th through the 21st in Kissimmee, Florida, and President Obama will be speaking this year. So we're excited for that event, and we'll see you there. 
Well, I, I'm big on industry education, and I know that there's that CDME certificate that I and I've been looking into it for quite some time. I think a lot of our listeners either aren't aware of it or maybe just haven't pulled the trigger to get their CDME training. Do you want to talk a little bit? Of, you've been through it, right, Bill? You know, actually, I haven't. Um, oh, okay. No, but but I absolutely support it. It CDME uh, began after I was already pretty established in. Okay. Uh, in in my consultancy. So it was one of those things where, you know, I probably should have done it, but, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I knew what I needed to know and I just moved on. Having said that, um, I think both CDME and DMAP, which is the accreditation program for destination marketing or organizations, both of them are, well, well CDME is essentially MBA style education. You're going right. to hang out for you know with with thirty or forty of your peers, and you're going to be, you know, led through you know top to bottom you know the destination advocacy, marketing, social media. I mean, everything that we do, you're going to be taught by people who have been very very successful in those areas, and it's one of those you know I think that for many of us, we'll go in and we'll say. Okay, uh, you're. I'm, I'm learning a few new things, but this is pretty much what I already know. But there's a there's an advantage to that. That's that means you're on the right track. You I mean right. you, you're being validated that you're actually, you know, you're 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 doing it. And and so that validation I think is important. Uh, the CDME program uh, is one of those things that you can carry with you. Um, it, it, it's, it's like an MBA, it's a certification that, you know, when, when it's time to, to go to that next destination, you know, having CDME next to your name, uh, that's, that's not little stuff when Big it comes differentiator, to, right? Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there are not that many CDMEs out there. And so, you know, it's one of those, um, you know, things that frankly put, puts you in a, in a better position, I think, um, as you begin to. Uh, build your career, go to the next step, the next next size destination, if that's what you want to do. Um, and it, it, and it just is great network. Again, it's great networking, right? Yeah. Yep. So, and then the DMAP program is is organizational. So CDME is for you as a person. DMAP is for the organization. And there's really, I think, only like 250 organizations that have earned the uh, destination accreditation program certificate. And so that also, I think, is one of those things where, you know, when when politics kind of gets in the way and, and people begin to question whether you're, you know what you're doing and your best practice, you just go, hey, we're one of only 250 out of, you know, who knows how many DMOs there are in the world, 6,000, 10,000. Yeah. And uh, it, it's rigorous. It's tough. But my, my favorite... Uh, story was that Jack Wirt from Naples, Florida, was one of the very first uh, bureaus to go through DMAP accreditation. And they failed on their first round. And he really, yeah. And he shook his head and he goes, wow. He goes, we thought we, we were nailing this thing. We, we thought we had it all going on. And he said, I recommend DMAP for everybody because it really shows you Hey, you know, you're you're missing this. You haven't considered this, and and you really to be the best of the best, 
you need to be doing these kinds of things. And, you know, he, they nailed it on their second um, application. But he'll tell anybody that this really was making the organization better. You, you may think that you've got it going on, but when you, you know, put your organization up against the, the top 20 in the world, you go, whoops, missed that one. And so it's pretty cool. And so yeah, that's yeah. really that's really what Destinations International, I think, brings to all of us. And, you know, one of the interesting things uh, th that just broke over the past couple of weeks is that um, a lot of times people were joining um, the former DMAI, now Destinations International, because they wanted access to the uh, meeting planner database. Uh, uh. D DMAI was known uh, during that period of time as having you know, this amazing database where, you know, I, you know, I may never have known about, you know, these 20 associations, but they actually would fit in my market, you know, and I could, I could, you know, get all the contact information. I mean, it was a very sharing kind of a thing. They've just nailed down a, um, uh, a deal with Simple View uh, that it's now being called Mint Plus. Um, okay. And in the next year or so, there is going to, I mean, this database is going to be cleansed and it's it's going to be huge. And so anybody who's in the meetings and events side of, of destination marketing, you know, they need to be a part of Destinations International because this this database had gotten a little long in the tooth. And, yeah. and now um, the new freshly scrubbed version is going to be pretty freaking cool. So there's a lot of things that DI is doing right now that are uh, are really exciting. So uh, and, That's you know, great. Full disclosure, I'm on the board of directors of the foundation for Destinations International. So, but uh, I really believe the organization is on the right track and doing some great stuff. And and uh, regardless of your size, I think it's worth uh, it's worth a look. Well, that's that's exciting news about the new database. I've got Simple Simple View slated to come on in February on the show, and so cool. I'll definitely have to make that a, a discussion point uh, and maybe go a little deeper on that product. Yeah. Yeah. It, what Simple View is offering to do on behalf of the industry is amazing. And uh, we're really excited to see what happens. Great. Great. Well, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, you you obviously, you have a consultancy that works with destinations across the country. Do you work with any international destinations, Bill? We've done a couple. Um, we did some work in Belize. Uh, we've done a little work in Canada, but really we're, we're fairly domestic. Great. Great. So you've seen a lot, right? And, and, and you've seen a lot both on the marketing side and probably on the operational side and the political side. But I, I would say let's focus a little bit on the marketing side. What are some of the, the things that you've seen that kind of keeps coming up, maybe mistakes people make without calling out any past acquaintances or anything like that? Just what do you <laughs> see at the industry level that it's like, man, everybody needs to, to know to do this better? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I think the the number one thing that we see that we just wince every time we see it is when destinations aren't intentional about their imagery. It's and and I I can see it going both ways, but you know I see an awful lot of white faces in a lot of destination marketing stuff, and I see an awful lot of boomers. You know I. I, I don't see, I, I don't see a, the the breadth of faces that are, you know, Gen Z, all the way to through Boomers, 
I don't see multiple colors. I, and, and I think that that is in, inadvertently we're shooting ourselves in the foot because for whatever reason, and, and I think it's probably because it's easy, we're, we're working off of old school image libraries. And I'll just give you an example. I was, you know, this isn't a DMO example, but I, I remember uh, about a year ago, I was in, in the, the, whatever it's called, the people mover, the, the train in the Atlanta airport. And on okay. the windows, they had all kinds of ads for, you know, the, the retail and the restaurants and all the things that are going on in the concourse. And there was one ad, one window that showed three different pictures of interaction between essentially retail or wait staff and the consumer. And in each of the three, the consumer was white and the wait staff or the retailer was African-American. Oh, no. It's like, it's like, what? How did this get past the review process? How, how did somebody not say, wait a minute, this doesn't look right? And I got to tell you, I see it all the time in destination marketing. And that's it, I think it's the biggest issue we have. Now, not to get too philosophical here, but there's also... There's also the other side of the question, and that is, what if your destination is 95% white? Should you have faces of color, you know, in in large numbers? In well, I'd, I'd love your opinion, Bill. What do you think? Well, and that's just it. That's the problem. Do, <laughs> do, do we market for aspiration because we want to be culturally inclusive? Uh -huh. Or do we market for reality? Because, you know, what's going to happen if... If half of our images are faces of color and somebody of color comes to our destination and goes, wait, wait this looks pretty white to me. Yeah. I, it, it's a problem. And, and, and yet that's the conversation I think we need to have. I, I, I think our imagery needs to be more inclusive. And so, you know, however we get there, uh, you know, if, if, you know, to your point, what, what's the biggest mistake we see? The biggest mistake I think we see is that our uh, our imagery is not representative of who we are. That's really interesting, and and you know, I I think it's I think it's powerful that you've been doing this as long as you have. You've been working with as many destinations as you do, and and you're bringing up something that is as simple as photography. When in reality, you know, it's the little things that you do as a destination that that really move the needle, and so I. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I've seen I've seen ski jackets from the 80s, you know, in in ad or in a photo database when we bring on a new client right. or something like yep. that. Yep. And it's like, man, we got to get a photographer out there and we got to get them out there quick. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think photography, it's a simple thing. But if you think about how the photography affects the entire, whether it's the website or the advertising or the the print ads or whatever that, that goes along with it. Well, the photography is the most visible part of that whole thing. Right. And so I, I love that you're bringing up one of the one of the um, fundamentals of, of destination marketing. Yeah. You know, and it was funny. We did some um, one of the services we offer is we test um, tourism video, uh, not unlike uh, what uh, you'll see coming up in the uh, presidential uh, debates. Both Fox and CNN will have, you know, panels listening to the debates and then afterwards they'll they'll go through and you can see and, and you've seen these you know the the video with the lines that that show 
whether somebody you know likes what they're hearing or hates what they're hearing. Well, we use yep. the same we use the same technology on tourism ads, and it's really fascinating to to see the things that we all believe are you know that this is a tourism specific image and it's golf and every time somebody puts golf you know in a in a video the the lines drop into like 30% likability instantly really like, well, what do you mean you know go, go, golf tourism it's, it's the same golf is wonderful yeah it is but most people don't want to see golf i mean only 9% of americans still golf and even less golf when they're on vacation but we think that that makes sense. Well, so the point is, is it was funny. We were doing some some focus groups, I think, in Atlanta, and we were, you know, showing some images um, of of African American uh, families, uh, you know, doing cool stuff. And and after the thing was over, um, an African American woman came up and she uh, she gave me a hug and she goes, on behalf of of your client, just just tell them thank you for including us, but we don't look like that. And, you know, we had to go back and look and, you know, they, the images that we were showing were African-American, but it looked like, oh, what was the guy's name in uh, Fresh Prince? Um, uh, uh, Will Smith? No, not Will uh, Smith, the other guy. Um, oh, Carlton. Oh, <laughs> Carlton. The, 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 the actors were dressed up like Carlton and were going, oh, no. God, you're absolutely right. And and she she came up to us and she said, "Hey, thank you. You tried, you failed, but you tried." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just think we have to be more focused. I, I I think that we need to make sure that our imagery works. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That's that's something that the destinations need to improve on. What are you seeing out there that's being done well? What do you like, or is there a specific campaign out there that you really like right now? I think I like the campaigns that that turn people's um, previously held beliefs on their head. Uh, Salt Lake has done a great job with this. Uh, a couple of years ago, they did a great campaign um, saying, you know, no fun allowed. <laughs> and so, you, you know, the the concept was you you can't come here and you can't drink and you can't have fun. And, you know, that's because we're, we're Mormon and, you know, just take it and just turn it on its head because, you know, the club scene, the nightlife in Salt Lake city is fabulous, but people don't know that because they have this image that it's something else. So I, the campaigns I love are the ones that take a, a commonly held belief and flip it and say, that's not what we are. We are yep. this. I mean, uh, there was one a number of years ago in Leavenworth, Washington, which is a very um, cute Bavarian um, destination. But they had a bunch of um, women, fairly scantily clad women, in a, you know, essentially a rap video um, dancing to this total, you know, disco kind of thing going on it's like <laughs> like wait that, that is so not leavenworth and you know the director almost got fired for it until like you know a week later there's like you know 200,000 views on youtube 
I mean, that's what I love is, is yeah, going as, against the grain a little bit. You know, and as much as it got beat up a lot, I, you know, I loved the Australian um, campaign a number of years ago where, you know, the, 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 um, the spokes model uh, comes out of the water and goes, where the bloody hell are you? You know, I mean, why, why aren't you here? <laughs> it, so it's, 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 you know, I, I think we're in that for at least me, I, I need to be, you know, I need to shake preconceived notions yeah and 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 the things that stand out the you know the the typical is i mean it's nice it's a great reminder that we want to go someplace but i think that the the campaigns i like are the ones that are um a little edgy Uh, rockford illinois is a great example they they will take an opportunity um so a number of years ago rockford was named by forbes as the third most miserable place in the world to be oh no and Rockford's, I mean, I don't even know why Forbes does that. That's just dumb. But but they do. I, you know, I, I don't know why they think that that's going to sell magazines, but they do. But within a week, that bureau came back with a YouTube video. And I would encourage people to go and, you know, uh, go to YouTube and go Rockford and Misery. Well, you and know what? We'll post it in the Destination Marketers LinkedIn group after the show. Okay. And, and it, it essentially says... Hey, recently Forbes said that we're the most third most miserable place in the world. You know, Forbes Schmorbs. Does this look like misery to you, Steve? As in Steve <laughs> Forbes. And the next two minutes are these fabulous images of people in Rockford having amazing times and laughing and fun and and you know outdoor recreation. And it just, you know, the ability to to take a lemon. And turn it into a sensational lemonade is one of the things that Rockford, Illinois, has done very well over the past couple of years. And so, you know, their videos have been the, the kinds of things that that really impress me. As this is pretty cutting edge stuff. Oh, that's great stuff. Well, you know, it reminds me of one of my favorite campaigns that we actually had John Ricks. In fact, I bet you know John ah, from Nebraska. I do know John John yep. actually used to work for Wisconsin Tourism. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he yeah, did mention yeah, that. So yeah. we had him on the show uh, a couple months ago, Fun and guy. he talked a little bit about their Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone campaign, and Which the copy. Oh, the copy that. in that campaign is just yep. brilliant. And uh, anyway, we had a fun conversation. And once again, it's I, I think the days of hey, I can do this safe campaign that every stakeholder is going to feel great about. And, you know, it's marketing by committee. And, and mm-hmm. th- those days of being effective with that kind of a message, I think they're over. I think you got to yeah. push the envelope. And push the envelope does not mean inappropriate or too no. – it just means different. It means standing out. Uh, because in, in the social culture of today – where you can go on Instagram and see just about every destination in the world, there's not very many best kept secrets anymore. And so, you know, standing out and cutting through the clutter, I think makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill, we've talked about a lot uh, and and <laughs> I, I think I could talk to you a lot longer. In fact, maybe we'll have to do a follow-up episode sometime, but uh, tell me, tell me for one, uh, what you think the next five to 10 years holds for the industry. Uh, in fact, let's start there. And then I got one more question after that. You know, I, I think we've got two things going on that we need to keep our eye on. And one of them is that we increasingly are going to come under fire for this being uh, fluff, that that what we do isn't 
isn't relevant. It's not worthy of public sector finance. And I think we just need to continue, as as Jack Johnson and the folks at Destinations International are doing, we need to find a way to communicate that this is a shared community value. And, you know, the, the unfortunate part about being a shared community value is you have to explain what that means. And, and what it means for Destinations International and for Jack and for all the work that they're doing is nobody wants to cut education. Nobody wants to cut police and fire and, and you know, clean water and health care. So why would they cut destination marketing? And we need to be just as much of a shared community value as those other issues are. So that's, that's going to be part of, I think, where we need to go. The other part, I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of realizing that we're all getting close to being uh, gathered up in this over-tourism thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, you think, okay, that's, that's Venice and it's Amsterdam and it's, you know, all these other destinations. And yet I was, I was out West um, earlier this week in a very small community that is dealing with over-tourism. And the over-tourism issue is that there were, as of this point in 2018, there were 200 Airbnbs. At this point in 2019, there were 600 Airbnbs. And we're not talking about how this is impacting hotels. We're talking about how this is impacting real estate. That that be, that as more and more houses are transferred over to sharing economy, that makes it really expensive for people in the tourism industry to live or anybody to live. That people now, I mean, you know, a house that a couple of years ago was, you know, maybe $200,000 is now $400,000. And I think those are the two issues that I think we're going to need to deal with is one is how do we prevent uh, the tourism economy from being blamed for over tourism hmm. and, and also, you know, getting back into uh, the whole shared community value thing. So th- those are, and, and you know, and, and neither one of them are marketing, right? I mean, right. That's, you know, and, and I think that's why this is becoming such a, sophisticated view of of the world is you know when i got into this business i mean you just placed a lot of ads and it was it was was as easy as that and now you're dealing with social issues that you never would have imagined you know 20 30 years ago i i think those are great points and while it's not marketing it's something that all the destination marketers that are listening are going to have to help navigate one way or another Well, Bill, one more question. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you feel like would really benefit our audience to hear? You know, you've really nailed it with your questions. Um, I, I think that we've we've gone the you know the breadth and the width of of what destination marketing is becoming. Uh, it's it, as I said a little earlier, I think that where destination marketing needs to go in the future is that we are the brand manager. We are the content curator for every person for every possible reason. I, you know, this is this is more than heads and beds. This is more than than tourism. This this is about entrepreneurship. This is about you know long term sustainability of our communities. I mean, we need to. I mean, there was a great um, uh, 
research program that was done uh, four or five years ago by Longwoods International, one of the most respected tourism um, research firms in the nation. And they absolutely proved the connection between tourism advertising and entrepreneurship, starting a business in a new town, going to a new, you know, people selecting a university, you know, when they're 18, that they're looking at tourism advertising and saying, maybe I, I want to go to the University of I don't know, Montana. You know, it's, it's what we do is so much more than heads and beds. And I yep. think that, that that's really, the, that that's the future of, I think, where destination marketing goes. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, well, you know, there's this whole, you know, DMO, you know, is it destination marketing? Is it destination management? And I say, you know, I, we're trying so hard to save the M. But I said, what it really is and what our organizations do is we're DLOs. We're destination leadership organizations. You can't manage independent you know, businesses throughout your community. There's no way you're going to manage the destination, but you can certainly lead it. And I think that that's, that's, that's our role going forward. And what a powerful point over the responsibility that it is to be a destination marketer, because you literally, whether you like it or not, or know it or not, the decisions you make now for the destination organization are really going to impact the future of that destination in perpetuity. And so yeah. it, it's it's to think about that impact, am I doing a good job with this destination today? Have I, we talked about the destinations, international trainings that are out there, and there's a lot of other educational resources as well. But am I using my time at this destination correctly, knowing that it's going to affect not just heads and beds for the next 10 years, but the actual future of the destination as a whole? I think that's a really powerful statement. Yeah, it really is. And I and I think that our responsibility has really grown over the past 10, 15, 20 years. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I think that tomorrow's leaders in this industry are going to be all about that. It's going to be far more about the future of the community as a viable entity, organism, whatever you want to call it, and less about heads and beds. Absolutely. Well, Bill, this has been fun. I appreciate you coming on. I, I look up to you in the industry. Like I said, I hear your hear your name everywhere I go, and it's it's a pleasure to have you on and speak with you today. Well, thank you so much, and we can't wait to have you on DMOU in the next uh, couple of months. It should be fun. I, I think that that we are both, um, you know, our guests are from different uh, quadrants, if you will. Um, uh -huh. I, I love listening to yours and your viewpoints and the, the guests that you have. And and they're very different than the ones that we have on DMOU. And so I think there's going to be a great little, um, what would you call it, cross-pollination um, yeah. as, as we get you on DMOU in the near future. Yeah, lots of room to work together. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so are we. Well, everyone, this has been another episode of the Destination Marketing Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Quick reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or a review that helps us continue to kind of climb up the charts and get recognized and uh, have more destinations be able to hear us. So check that out. And other than that, uh, oh, Bill, I'm sorry, I've still got you right. Yeah, still here. Tell us how to find your podcast and your website, please. Probably the easiest is just go to our website at DMO Pros, and that's uh, pros with a Z. So DMOPROZ.com, and you can find everything there. Great, great. Well, thanks again, and thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.